Well, every church in America has been affected by this, this pandemic that's hit us all. And then, you know, the reaction to the virus shut down the economy and then the, um, you know, unemployment numbers that just like rival the Great Depression, the distancing between non-relatives, it's like common everywhere and face mask wearing. And I mean, kids not even back in school an entire five days a week. Um, there's even change with change because some of the cashiers aren't going to give you change. You'll do the coin shortage. I mean, it was crazy. And, and then Monday came to the Quad Cities. The storm hit. And you're just going, what a weird year. Tough few months, nightmare week. And some of you may be wondering, and that question goes around, considering all this, could it get any worse? <laughs> or where is God in all this change? Now, for some of you that may not know what scriptures talk about these things, or for those that do know, and just a quick reminder, let's just go through a few basics. First of all, this is actually no worse than what many believers throughout history have faced. Because you read that Bible and you know history, it's like everywhere, the plagues and disasters that hit Egypt and Rome and, and Christians were in the, or believers were in that path. And then Peter, when he writes in his work, he just says about expect these kinds of things uh, to happen. He says that... Um, he says, these you are suffering through, grieved by various trials for a little while. I was kind of wondering about those watching online today. Uh, probably the numbers are down if communications are out. Or if you are watching online, um, are you doing it by candlelight? I mean, anyways, these things come upon people all the time. This is just a modern technological kind of thing that we have had to face. And, of course, just the benefits that we have that go away from a disaster or a storm. Number two, are the people who get the virus or suffer any worse sinners than anyone else? No, Luke 13, Jesus makes clear about an actual disaster situation, and he asked it in kind of a negative way to people that I'm sure did have a judgmental way of looking at it. He says, are they worse, you know, people, offenders than you? Because that happened to them and not you? And the answer, obviously, is like, well, no. <laughs> that That is not a message that sent, in fact, if God is sending a message when a disaster comes, everyone is supposed to learn a lesson. So let's not go there. And then number three is God still loves you. <laughs> I mean, through all of this, because even if discipline is involved and there's some hard forms that come against us, even that is the mark that you actually are valued as his child. So you know that great Romans 8 passage. is like you can go there time and time again and always consider what it says about how nothing separates us from the love of God. And includes some of these things, tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, sword, or you just name it. Nothing can take us out of God's love. Oh, that is good. In fact, talking to some of our church members this week, they actually were quite thankful. They had an attitude of, they saw God's provision. And as neighbors were helping neighbors and people were sharing goods and food and whatever, they actually saw God's hand in that. And, and didn't it really bring out the best in some people? <laughs> it's just interesting how people will respond differently during these changes of crisis. Nothing, though, at this current time is the most important. Anything that is happening or has happened before is not as important as the future. What God has for us to come. Now, I think if that sounds a little strange, you go with me for a minute and think about this path going forward that he has because your fulfillment of your life, your joy is going to be found there because today, if you're doing well, you know that's probably going to change, <laughs> okay? That something's going to happen. 
And if you're not doing well, thank God that's going to change. It's not going to continue to be like this. But the future, think of all the possibilities that God builds up in that. And so the important thing is, um, you don't get excited going home to a dark house or suffering for another night without air, but you can get excited about what God has planned. Will you agree with me? Tracking? Okay. The place I'm going to go here is Ephesians 2. Because when we talk about big, important things, this thing is loaded. If you want to know like 10 verses in the Bible, a passage you want to get down by memory, I can't think of a better place. Because it's just packed. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but when it starts out, it gets ready and just starts laying out this idea of the big, important things to cause us to ask some big, important questions about our life, our purpose, and really what we're up to, what we're doing uh, in the midst of all this. So focus on what's important. If you look through, you just kind of realize in the first chapter it talks about incredible spiritual blessings that we have, tons of those things, and then all of the um, in Christ we have within the coming ages. Now I'm going to pick it up just kind of as it gets down to this. Um, he shows uh, his incomparable riches to us through Christ, and this is um, not from yourselves. This is where it mentions about you've been saved by grace through faith, and that is not a, um, a, of yourselves, not by works. It is a gift of God that no one can boast. And then verse 10, for we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God has prepared in advance for us to do. So it's like it takes in the first few verses our condition before Jesus came into our life. And it mentions just, you know, the terrible way that we were actually, you know, living our lives. And really it's kind of a hard thing to mean you're messing around with a whole bunch of bad stuff. But it was just all coming from your heart and you didn't have the right direction or guidance in your life. And if you did have, you weren't following it before. And then God, out of his great love and mercy, came in. He showed, it's like he took you in this condition that says you were spiritually dead. And God comes into your life and he makes you alive in Christ Jesus. And it changes everything. It's like you're now this new person. This new creation is set in. And some of you could say almost like, I felt that, you know. And others of you are like, okay, maybe I didn't feel anything special at that moment. But through time I can see I'm becoming different. Because the Lord is in you. His seed has been planted in you, you know, the core of your being, and he's now working away in your life. But I'm really interested in where this is going. Not by our works. It makes it clear. It's not because you suddenly started doing something right. <laughs> this work is being done by God, and so it's Jesus in the dying and resurrecting. It's those actions, him doing that work, that changed our situation. And now it has these lasting effects, these benefits in our life that continue to come and come more because we have this Christ in our life now, and he is alive in us, and he's changing us, and he's speaking to our mind and our heart. And as we become more sensitive to that, and the way he works in the spirit is our life continues in this, this different trajectory going forward. But notice it's God doing this thing. So the whole thing of like, we're up, we got a great future ahead, we got a heaven bound, we have this, you know, can have this on fire life in a different way than we've ever had before, a fulfilling life because of these effects, because of his great kindness coming into our life through this. Now, <laughs> we're not getting what we deserve, because you and I know if we're gonna talk about our works, we get we deserve what? Pretty bad stuff. You know, we said earlier we're objects of God's wrath. Hell. <laughs> That's what we're supposed to get. But because of grace, we're not going to get that now. Because remember, Christ offered his life up for us. He takes that, and now we have nothing but this being alive in Christ Jesus. So what I'm really interested in looking at is that kind of sets up this whole thing about the verse 10. We don't get what we deserve, but what we do get is we get this through faith. So faith is like dealing with facts. It's always based on these facts. It's about a real man who really did come and he, the things, he did the things he said he would do. He fulfilled the prophecies about the expected Messiah. And then living by these facts, 
that truth in our life more and more as Christ is alive in us. In other words, we're not going to go back to that early part, that condition that's like um, living by just the way I feel or by the flesh or by the world, what it says, going with the culture. Now I live differently. I live with Jesus Christ in my life. So it's really relational and we have something that's coming. God the creator redeems us and then he's changing us. And there's this key word. If you got your Bible there, no, highlight it, circle it, whatever, workmanship. This is who you are now. It's like there's one word we're going to say. It's what you're involved in. God's doing the work, but it does involve you doing something, and it's his workmanship. The original word is poema, which is where we get our word poem from. I don't know if any of you are good at poetry. I, I struggle with that in school. I could not get those words together right. You know, roses are red, violets are blue, I can't rhyme, and neither can yourselves. I mean, I just couldn't ever quite get how you make that last one work. But we don't have to worry, thank God, because he's the one in our life, and he's doing that creating, and he's crafting this thing just perfectly, this poem that you are and what you're becoming. And as he's at work poetically, it's like he's made you this beautiful piece of art that changes everything. And now he's got this thing for you to do. And did you catch it? It says about we've got these steps to walk in. It's like God has laid this thing out ahead of us, and now we're just working with him to go, okay, that's what I need to do. That's what God's in my heart. And so I start doing it. You act and get moving that way. So what we're doing in this series is to get this call to action. We have each of the, our highly gifted ministers come each week, and they're going to give us that call to action to consider, well, what are those works that I need to be involved in and can serve in? So it'll help you to consider those things. I'm going to think about our church, and not just our church, it seems like just overall, it's like we're always reacting to the world. And that's not the best place to be in. It's like our culture shifts, and then the church has to react. It's like the Supreme Court makes a new definition for who can be married. And they were like, okay, now what do we do with that? I mean, should the church not be in the marrying business? Or you have protests that start, and they start initially from a problem of a racism, but then quickly it becomes something else. Now, what should the church do? Should it join that movement? It's like we're always caught off guard with, oh, no, now this, we didn't see this coming, and the church is reacting. I don't see that here. This seems very um, different from that. Instead of a reacting, there's a better way, and it starts in this relationship. So God is like in our life, and then he's going to track this way forward. Instead of doing the react to everything happening around us, he has us very active, doesn't he? It's almost like we are the ones stepping out into this. He has this ready, and we're going to step out into that thing and walk in that. So it's like the gospel that he has, this good news of our life in Christ, he has set us up differently and what I want to say is it has to do with this vision. And so what's the purpose of my life if I understand his vision, because see what's going to be coming, what I need to do in that future as I move forward towards that, it's all going to come together. And then you're going to be doing the kinds of things. So I can't sit here and prescribe. There's probably none of us who could say like, well, I know the plan for your life. You'll do this next, this next. But you can do that if you ask the big question first. And that's getting that purpose thing down. So... Could we just step into that for a minute and know, well, how do you take that? If you go on to chapter 3, he says we have the stewardship from God, and according to his mercies, he's made us involved in this great work, his eternal purpose, that we can be bold and confident in our faith. Would you say that's true of your faith? You're bold and confident. Because <laughs> to be honest, I'm going to say like, I need to be. <laughs> I wish I were. <laughs> but this actually says you can. And I think that's based on 
the purpose in asking this big question. You can be proactive with your faith. So it's linking your passion with God's vision, and then you're going to have this future that is confident, is positive, it's like sustainable, it's got long-term joy. So what I'm going to do to help bring the illustration to this is um, show you this piece of red fruit. Everybody know what this is? Zoom in, apple, yep, okay. The tree from which this comes has a purpose. What is the purpose of the tree from which this comes? It is to make? Ah, you, you all had a fruit answer there. You all had make apples. Well, no, that's actually not the right answer. The tree from which this apple comes, it does make apples, but that's not its purpose. The purpose of the apple tree is to make more apple tree. This is the way, the method by which with the apple and the seeds within, you give them the right chance, they germinate the ground, you get the right conditions, they will fulfill the purpose of that apple tree to make more and produce more apple trees. The picture, you and me. Because we're always concerned about the what, the method, but we ask the, ask the big question first. Why? This relationship that you're starting or you're in, ask the big one first. So, keep this in mind and take your life purpose. And you've got a relationship right now. Let's just take some, for example, marriage. You are in this marital covenant with someone, linked with them. What is your purpose for your marriage? Check out Genesis 1 to 2. Check out Ephesians 5. See what they're doing? You look to the word, and by getting that, you're going to get that purpose now. Now, someone there, you're going to be about something about making babies, which is great fun. But then if you have a child, you have to ask the question again. Another big important question. It is why do I have this child? Have you thought that? Why do you have the kid? See, it, that's not the end game, to have the kid. Now you have this kid. What's the purpose? God wants you to bear a certain kind of fruit. And now how you're going to go about this thing, you're going to check out, you know, Ephesians 6, and you're going to write you know, the, the Proverbs and Deuteronomy 6, because it starts to get you honed in on your purpose with that kid and why you even have one from God. All of these things that we have from God, every one of these relationships, it's like it sets this thing up, and we now realize that these are ways that it provides for us to lead out our life of purpose. So, I've been hinting around this thing. Come on, have you figured out what your purpose is? We are to make followers of Jesus. You're a follower of Jesus, and that's your, my purpose. <laughs> so now, you see what you got with the kid? The method, the apple. Now you got to look at that kid going, I know what I'm supposed to do. I, I have this kid to bring up so that they will be a, a follower of Jesus in their life in this world. And so now you can get down to the actual things of why you do the things with your kids. So that's why when they're little, you're going to start telling Bible stories. And as they're getting a little bit older and they're growing up, you're going to correct more than just their behavior because you're so concerned about that heart and their attitude as well. Because remember, they got to come to love God, love others. <laughs> and then as they turn into a teen, you're going to start conversations about big important things. Huge ideas about morals and about church and life and about, you know, the things that happen in society and extreme fanatical things that happen and standing up against what is wrong. Because why? You don't just have a kid in your life. you got to prepare them. 
They have been born at such a time as this to bear that fruit. And you're pouring in. Now that you get in the why question down, yeah, the hows and the whats, they're going to come together much more easily because you're guided by the thing that God has you involved in. So we start with the big important question. You can use these for that standpoint, and you just can see where you search through Scripture, you find all these things of what it says, and how do I develop this, and what do I do with this kid, what do I do with this person, and it takes you back there. And if we think we have it hard during the tough 2020 year, there's others who've had it worse. How'd you like to be in Nazi Germany? The power of Hitler's Third Reich. And there you are, a German, and you have a conscience, and yet what can you do? Because it would be a crime to speak up against the state or do something that would try and stop that Nazi machine and just the brutalizing of Europe that they went about. But people did. Students, young adults at the university, like Sophie Scholl, she said somebody has to do something. And so she knew she couldn't stay silent. She started making these pamphlets in Munich and distributing them listing the human rights violations and other abuses, and calling the other students to action. A janitor caught what she was doing, got her caught for littering, and then later she was convicted of propaganda. But that began the White Rose Movement. They decapitated Sophie, but she wrote one word on the back of the indictment against her, Freiheit, freedom. A young adult and the impact it made because those German students said, we as Christians are responsible for Germany. And they did not think it was an accident for them to be born in that time. Now what about us? Yes, this is the hand you've been dealt with, but Christianity is not an escapist religion. That's more like Buddhism. We don't do that karma stuff. Yeah, we've been born at this time. We've been dealt this hand. But instead, we look at what? Why do you have me doing this, God? What is your purpose, my life with this? I like how one pastor who could rhyme, <laughs> how he put it. He said it like this. Some wish to live within the sound of church or chapel bell. I want to run a rescue shop within a yard of hell. What about you? What is your poem, your purpose? Evan's going to come and help us get a hold of this call to action. Thanks, Tim. Good morning. So I want to talk a little bit about joining a family, being a part of a family for a moment. But first, let me, let me preface this by telling you about a fear that I have. One of the fears I have for the American church is that we continue to allow our consumer-driven culture to corrupt the way we view and interact in the church. Because a consumer Christian looks to see what he can get from the church and spends little to no time thinking about how he should is supposed to be an active part in the church by doing things like getting relationally connected to those inside the church family 
or learning how God has gifted him and using those gifts to serve others and actively participating in the mission that God has given his church. We ought to intentionally nurture an environment where people organically become active participants in the family of God. Intentionally nurture an environment where the organic response is to join in. Let me give you an outside uh, example of what I'm, what I'm trying to get at here. So a married couple with kids decides to adopt another child. The, parent, the parents take the boy into their home, but only provide the necessary resources to survive until he turns 18 and then sends him packing. Not exactly ideal parenting. And this adopted son wouldn't have, have any kind of, of idea really what it means to be a part of a family. I'm sure he didn't exactly feel wanted in that family. He was simply a responsibility, a project almost, that the parents took on. But what if this couple uh, adopts this little boy, and for the first few weeks, the parents take time off work to, to spend more time with the child, especially in the beginning, to help him orient himself to his new family. They not only have family meals together, but they gather around the kitchen and prepare the meals together. Even though it's a lot more work for the parents to let the kids help, it, it's, that's just what family should do once in a while. The parents not only care for all of his needs, but they also teach him how to be involved. When he's younger, they ask him to do little things like, uh, don't forget to take your plate back to the, to the kitchen after a meal. Or they ask him to, to share with his siblings. And soon, because this little boy is in a healthy environment, he's immersed into this proper family, he learns that he has a responsibility to play as a son, as a sibling. He's part of the family, and he needs to do his part to strengthen the family dynamics. And in this scenario, I guarantee he feels wanted. We are a family. Bettendorf Christian Church is the local church family. What kind of family are we? Do we nurture an environment uh, of involvement where every family member has his or her place and responsibility? Do we actively try to get to know other stories who we haven't yet met? Be cautious because just, just because you know someone's name or recognize their face doesn't mean you know them. Get to know their story. The church often confuses familiarity with relationships, and that can be very dangerous. Do we openly welcome guests and engage with them to bring them into the family? Are we a congregation who only provides the essentials of survival? I mean, we may let people join our group, but there's little intentional effort to help them engage and really become connected. What kind of a family are we? Can we truly say that we're a loving family if we aren't hospitable with one another? Do we know when someone new visits us? Do we make every effort to make them feel welcomed and wanted? If we aren't nurturing, nurturing an environment of involvement where every person understands that they are a part of a family and every person is acting on their responsibilities, then are we really helping each other mature as disciples? And are we truly empowering each other to take on an active role in the family. Lots of questions to process for you individually and for us as a church family.
Among his many letters to various first century churches, Paul asks congregations to welcome his fellow Christ, uh, Christ servants in his absence. He also thanks those congregations for caring for him and for those who he sends to visit. He paints a picture that suggests these small communities really knew how to welcome someone into their family relationally and really connect with them. And throughout the New Testament, we see examples of the early church coming together regularly and growing close as a family should. This environment that we read about in the New Testament is essential for relational growth and relationships are essential for discipleship. We want our connections ministry here to help jumpstart that relational discipleship process that should be at the core of the church. And the connections team is made up of volunteers who serve from the front doors, throughout the commons, and even into the worship center. And they are all there to help you feel welcome and to guide you and to guide you towards your next step in deepening your connection with this local family. And it's hard to allow others into your life or allow others to encourage you toward growing as a disciple when you don't feel like you belong, when you don't feel wanted. It's up to each and every one of us to make sure that every individual feels like they belong here because that's what family does. And for our Sunday morning gatherings, the connection team needs to lead the way. So let me paint a picture of a fully functional connections ministry team on a Sunday morning. So before our service begins, our virtual connections host, which is starting today, right now. So if you're joining on Facebook, I hope you've noticed uh, some activity there and reached out to, to her. The virtual host uh, logs in and posts a greeting for everyone about to tune into the service, ready to interact with anyone who ha uh, posts a comment. A team of volunteer connection hosts arrive early before the service to prepare the lobby and the worship center and pray for everyone about to walk through the doors and everyone about to watch on the live stream service. And after their prayer, they all get into positions. Outside the front entrance, connections hosts are ready to open the door for you, to greet you with a smile and a good morning, maybe help you get from your car to the door. As you walk in, you see a table uh, with a sign that reads Guest Central. Connections hosts are gathered there uh, greeting everyone, but especially watching for anyone who might be new, who might need some direction, or just to chat about why BCC is a great family that they could be a part of. And if you are new and stop by Guest Central, we'll help direct you where you need to go. You'll receive a little gift and an invitation to stay in communication with us via email or text, and then you'll be encouraged to attend First Step. Now, First Step's an opportunity for you to meet some of the pastors, hear BCC's vision, and get any questions answered that you may have about who we are. And we'll show you all the ways you can begin to get connected here in this family. And the cafe is open and we serve coffee because in this great picture, COVID doesn't exist. So it's a happy place. Because the Connections team has prepared a place you can sit or stand around catching up with BCC family members and hopefully meet new faces and, and learn new names and, and learn new stories. Connections hosts are also stationed at Connect Central. Now this is the new area 
behind this wall with the two TVs on it showing the upcoming events. Eventually, we're going to have iPads along the wall to where you can go talk with a connections host and get signed up for a life group, get signed up for a ministry event that you want to be a part of, or just go and ask some questions on how, I, how, should I, how can I get connected. As you come into the worship center, you'll have the door held for you as you're greeted by one of the ushers. And the usher helps you find your seat, not because of social distancing, but because there are so many people here. Our Connections hosts hang out after the service just in case someone needs something before they go. Because our goal is to make people feel welcome and wanted and to create an environment where people understand that we want them to be a part of our family and we want them to be an active part of our family. Now, to make all this happen... We need 18 volunteers per service. With our regular two services uh, on a regular weekend, that's 36 Connections hosts each week. And with many serving once or twice a month, that requires a team of over 100 volunteers. And I can tell you today we are nowhere near 100 volunteers for that team. What kind of family do we want to be? The family who provides only the basics to survive or the family who nurtures a relational environment, a family where each person understands they have an active role to play in building up the family. What's your role? We have a spot for you on the Connections team. So what I'd like to do right now is if any of this has resonated with you, I want you to take out your phone. I give you permission. I know some of you already had it out. Uh, looking at scriptures, I'm sure. Uh, but I want you to take out your phone, and I want you to, if, if God is saying, you know what, I, I can be an active role uh, in this family by helping that connections team, by helping people feel welcomed. I want you to text the number that's on the screen and give us your name and just the word connect. That'll signal us to reach out to you and say, let's talk. Let's talk about how you can you can help be a part of this so important ministry. Now, if you'd rather uh, communicate via email, you can do that as well. You can send an email to serve at bettendorfchristian.org. Serve at bettendorfchristian.org. Just uh, in, the, in the body, just tell us that you'd love to learn more about the Connections team and, and, and get involved. And within 24 hours, a minister will reach out to you and just connect with you and uh, see how we can uh, join forces to make this the most welcoming and connective family that anybody's ever seen. So the church is a family. What can you do to help intentionally nurture an environment where people organically become active participants in the family of God? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the opportunity to gather as we appreciate when family gets to come together, we appreciate when we come together on Sunday mornings as a church. I just ask that you would continue to pour your love into us so that we can pour it out for one another and put a desire in our hearts to want to get to know each other on a deeper level so that we can continue to spur one another on, as Scripture says, 
towards becoming more and more like you. We thank you again for an opportunity to gather as a family. Help us to be a welcoming and inviting family to those who may not quite feel connected just yet. I just ask all these things in your name. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're going to go into our kind of time of communion. If you got your cup uh, handy, still need to get one, feel free to do that. I'm going to offer a thought and then pray, and then you'll have some time for meditation. So we're acknowledging changes and how we live in a changing world. But we're reminded the Lord said of himself, I, the Lord, do not change. Jesus Christ is the same today, yesterday, and forever. Now, I don't think that's mentioning God's, you know, inflexibility. <laughs> Doesn't mean his variety in his creative works, because he's always making all things new. It does speak to his character. He is unchanging in his eternal love for us. He is a secure anchor when we're going through all these uncertainties and instabilities in our life. For 2,000 years, the church has observed this supper, week after week, month after month, year after year, to remember Jesus. I don't know what you do, where your mind goes during this time when you meditate. Something I'll often do is, it's this contrast. As I see the Lord, He is so beautiful and perfect. And I am so imperfect and ugly. And I don't even know why he'd let me live on his planet. Let alone he'd take away my sin. And he would want me. But it's true. I'd want you to know that. He wants you. It's to be with you. He did everything he could to rescue you. Draw you to himself. It's the most amazing thought of all. Why don't we pray? Lord, you came. You came from heaven. You came down. You took on all this stuff you didn't even have to do. You showed who you were. And then, Lord, you took it to the mat. Lord, you went to the extreme. You suffered like no one had ever suffered before. Why? I can't believe you would love like that. I love you, Lord. Thank you for the giving up of your life for me and my brother and sister here. You are so beautiful. In Jesus' name.